0: Good morning. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, the El Nino weather system is weakening. So what can you expect from weather patterns in 2024? Lawrence Gunther will open up the crystal ball and explore that question. What's your favorite low-tech tool? Community reporter Anna Kim discusses the power of simple tech for accessibility. And it's another chance for you to test your knowledge as part of the weekly news quiz. You'll play along with contestants Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Elizabeth Moeller. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours. But let's begin with the top story of the day. It's all about health care. There's new research about what changes Canadians want in the healthcare care system. Emily Chavesky takes a closer look.
1: Researchers at Toronto St. Michael's Hospital say respondents were in favor of team-based primary care that includes a variety of health professionals, saying it would increase access to care, reduce clinician burnout, and enable a more holistic approach to care. Patients also said having access to their health records is important so that they can have ownership over their own health and ensure multiple health care providers have vital information. Respondents said increasing the number of primary health care providers in Canada is also a vital step to addressing the country's family doctor shortage. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press.
0: A lot of fairly obvious data points there. I think we all understand that we want to solve the primary care problem in Canada. I think we all understand that we want access to our electronic records. I admire the research being done here. It's worthwhile but what matters is the pathway. How do you get there? I want all kinds of things. I want to have six-pack abs. You know how I get there? By eating less junk food and exercising more. So, yeah, I want something. But how do you get there? That is the core Okay, switching gears here to some federal politics news. Canada's Justice Minister has introduced the Online Harms Act. Naira, Naira Ahmed has the details.
2: The Online Harms Act plans to create a digital safety commission and a new ombudsperson to advocate for users who have concerns about online safety. The long-promised Bill C-63 also seeks to amend the criminal code to introduce stiffer punishments for existing hate propaganda offences and amend the Canadian Human Rights Act to include online hate speech as discrimination. The proposed law would require companies to take down intimate images shared online without consent and content that sexually victimizes a child.
0: Justice Minister Aref Farhani took particular aim at social media companies. Profit cannot be prioritized over safety. Right now, it is too easy
3: for social media companies to look the other way as hate and exploitation festers on their platforms. This bill will require platforms to do their part and to do better.
0: Some more news out of Ottawa. The federal government wants to change some protocols in the House of Commons. The government wants to eliminate overnight votes. The opposition forced a voting marathon in December that lasted 30 hours. House Leader Steve McKinnon thought that was inappropriate.
4: No nurse, no doctor, no, uh, no concierge, no anyone in this country should be subjected to that kind of thing. No workplace would ever tolerate that kind of behaviour. Least of all, one that is voting on billions of dollars of supports for Canadians.
0: Conservative House leader Andrew Scheer doesn't see an issue with tactics in the House. If you hit a hundred doors this evening,
5: how many Canadians do you think would say, I'm really concerned about how the House of Commons manages its time. Please go back to Ottawa and sort that out. They are wasting the valuable time of this House and of members of Parliament because they can't admit
0: their failures. It would be worth asking those hundred doors that you knock on during the course of the evening, do you want politicians to behave like adults? I think that's a reasonable question. Let's get over to the daily polls, where that is not the question of the day. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Monday, you were asked about your experiences accessing government services. How would you describe your experience accessing those services? 83% 83% of you said complicated, 11% of you said reasonable, and 6% of you said simple. Philip writes in on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. I would say very complex because the government's programs are not always accessible for me personally. And that I really do need to advocate for my point of view in order to simply achieve all my goals in life. And sometimes I'll have to admit that it is very stressful and tiring to explain these points of views over and over and over again. So thank you to Philip for jumping in on the comment section there. I know plenty of you did do some voting yesterday. Be like Philip. Elaborate on your responses if you like, and in fact, I'm going to demand that you do that today because I'm not giving you options for today's daily poll at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What's a low-tech life hack that improves your quality of life? Laura Bain, I've got a couple. I'll sort of sprinkle them into this conversation. Number one, did you know that you can buy half-size and quarter-size baking sheets? It makes your life about a million times better, and it only costs a couple of dollars to do.
6: I Didn't know that, but you're kind of making me think of one that wasn't on my list, which is that whenever I bake something, I freeze half of it. So I guess that's kind of another way to go with that. If you make a whole pan of cookies, you can always just pop <laughs> half of them in the freezer. I do have another one of yours that you mentioned that I'm, I'm going to steal here, but uh, steal it. You know, steal it. That... Go, steal it. Well, it was, you know, you mentioned about cheap sunglasses and having them around in various bags. And this is something that I do as well. Um, I buy those drugs. Store ones that fit over my fit over my glasses, and I think the key for me is that um, you know they are relatively inexpensive, so I don't have to be too precious about them, putting them in a case or anything like that, um, which enables me to just kind of use them. Like, I, you know, if I, if I had to think about, oh, where are they? Or, oh, you know, I'm going to break them or whatever. I wouldn't be uh, using them mm-hmm, all the time like mm-hmm. I am. And if the arm breaks, no big deal. I drop it. Sometimes the lens pops out. It's fine. You can get another pair and it's really uh, helpful for protecting my eyes as those of yeah. us with retinitis pigmentosa are told to
0: do. Yeah, Laura, um, I, I, I see that to me as sort of a backup solution, right? I have primary sunglasses that I wear that are a little bit nicer, but every mm-hmm. now, And then you find yourself in a situation. Oh, gosh. I left for work when it was dark this morning. I didn't bring sunglasses. Thankfully, I've got my backups in my bag. So, yeah, you and I share a a similar page there. Hold your next thought. because I want to bring Elizabeth Moeller in here. So we're going to kind of just bounce this around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Moeller, what's a low cost life hack that makes your life better?
1: You know, I would say the spare cane. Um, I, I kind of bounce between London and Toronto and I always have a backup cane in my office and in my backpack because there have been many a time where my cane's been run over or uh, caught in a little bit of a crack and it breaks. So definitely having a spare white cane for me has been really helpful. I also really like Lysol wipes. Uh, I started that during the pandemic. I wait,
0: think. wait, 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 I haven't, I haven't laid that out yet. So you have to explain, you have to explain where you're pulling that from. Look at you guys stealing my answers this morning. <laughs> next time I'm not putting oh, these in an email, but yes, Elizabeth. Oh, no, no, ex- no, no. Ex- I, I
1: meant also is in my next hack. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. Was, okay. Yes. Um, I find them really helpful just in terms of not having to like pour out cleaning chemicals. Um, I really like having them around the house. And I would say another thing
0: for me. That Wait, I, that Elizabeth, thought... you you hold your horses here one at a time, people. Okay. One at a time. Yeah. At a time. Come on, we're trying excited, to have a yeah. conversation too here. Excited. We're not doing monologues. Okay, so I want to pick up on Elizabeth's here before I bounce back to Laura Bain. Laura, something that I've started doing is keeping Lysol wipes in places like my bathroom and in places like my kitchen just to allow for a little bit more day-to-day maintenance cleaning rather than sort of waiting for a big clean on some these surfaces. Again, these are like little simple things, but it does make my life about a million times better. Okay, Laura, I cut you off before, so you get to share your next one, and then Elizabeth, I will come back to you, I promise.
6: It's okay. I'm man. gonna bounce <laughs> off of I'm gonna bounce off of both of you guys. I also do the spare cane thing, which was great. Uh the other week when I was out in class and the elastic in my cane broke Oof. and I just oh, no. had to like um you know, you, you kind of got this situation where you've got like a gumby cane and, and you're like, okay, I guess I'm just gonna make it to the front door and <laughs> oh, move her home. And uh it was great that I had a spare one uh once I got home. But uh kind of on the wipes train, I am a big fan of face wipes and uh, not to be mixed up with Lysol wipes, but like makeup removing face wipes and carrying those in my bag. They're great if you're out and maybe you have an ice cream or some ribs and you need to do a little <laughs> cleanup of your face and hands or even just after a, a, like a long day. I used to use these at the end of my my office day when I worked in the office in Halifax just to do, do a little bit of a refresh if you're, say, going somewhere in the evening.
0: I, uh, I do like that you point out don't use Lysol wipes on your face no. because it might be a little bit uncomfortable, especially right after a shave. Okay, Elizabeth, you had another.
1: No worries. Yeah, I find carrying a little bit of cash, just always having a little bit of cash on oh. hand, um, you know, always good for the times when debits go down or like on campus our Wi-Fi went down so I couldn't use my, my one tap card. So just having a little bit of cash on hand is not to be a lot um, for those times when, when you know, the the systems might go down and y- you might need to just buy that cup of coffee.
0: I'm a cash operation, but I've only got $5 in my wallet right now. got to make a trip to the bank to replenish the supplies a little bit. $5 in this age isn't going to get you very far. (laughs) Uh, One more for for me. This is an accessibility one. Uh, Magnifying glasses. I use Mm. magnifying glasses to read a lot of small print. I don't necessarily bring them out into the wild with me. I use my phone for a lot of magnification out in the wild, but I do find around the house, around my TV, around my coffee table, around my desk at home, just leaving multiple magnifying glasses around just in case a letter comes in and I don't want to bother taking the picture and doing the zoom and the blah, 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 magnifying glasses, Laura. It's (laughs) what it's one of these things. It's, it's, you know, nothing new. It's nothing revolutionary, but still super, super useful.
6: Yeah, it it sure is. I have I had one around here that I kept, but it's been missing for a solid 3 or 4 weeks. So who knows where that's gone. I've kind of uh resorted to using my phone and uh the last one for me that I'll mention is my yoga mat that I keep out on the floor in the living room and uh, sometimes it peeks into my camera shot here and that just is uh removes any sort of bar of entry to me getting my stretching in because the materials are right there in front of me. I can stretch for 30 seconds if I want and uh just walk away come back to
0: it so yeah hey anything you can do elizabeth to make the fitness process easier is a good thing i really wish i had discovered resistance bands earlier in the pandemic because that would have really saved me those first couple months when the whole world was uh was shut down
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, one quick one more for me—a uh, spare set of keys. Oh. In uh, you know, either with a neighbor or I keep one in my office here in London. So yeah, just just in case—you never know when you're going to lose your keys and need a spare set.
0: <laughs> yeah, spare keys is a good one. Currently, my spare keys are are locked in my apartment, so they wouldn't do me—they wouldn't do me much good if I found myself in that spot. All right, excellent. Uh, I, this isn't really low tech, but definitely uh, portable chargers for your phone as oh, well. Um, I've got a couple battery banks. That I've been using for years, but on the weekend, a friend of mine showed me a little strip that you can just plug in right to the base of your phone. So it either fits into the uh, the the lightning charge if you have an iPhone, or the USB C, or the US, uh, or or the US uh, whatever USB. I'm just going to say USB. (laughs) The the USB uh, cable uh, spot into some of your into your Android phones, and it's it's just a little teensy thing. It's not going to give you a gargantuan amount of charge, but you just clip it to the bottom of your phone, and there's no wires going anywhere it's all just there your phone maintains all of its functionality uh it just blew me away i went onto amazon and bought two of them uh right on the spot so you know some every now and then i'm influ i'm influenceable when you hang out with me at the pub okay i want to hear from you (laughs) at accessible media on x at accessible media inc on facebook what's a low tech life hack that improves your quality of life you can also chime in via email, feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a call, 1-866-509-4545, one 509 4545 Coming up next, it is the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio at AMIplus.ca. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. A fairly beautiful day around the GTA. Elizabeth Moeller will brag about that in the weather report in a couple of minutes. But let's begin the segment with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, minimum wage is going up in BC. Naira Ahmed counts the pennies.
2: The provincial government says the hike of 65 cents an hour to $17.40 will help lift more people out of poverty. Set to take effect on June 1st, the Ministry of Labour says the 3.9% increase is consistent with the province's average inflation rate last year. BC's Labour Minister says the province has gone from having one of the lowest minimum wages in the country to the highest of all provinces. Naira Ahmed, The Canadian Press.
0: Yeah, a couple things there. Minimum wage should definitely be tied to inflation at a minimum, whatever inflation goes up by. Minimum wage should follow suit. That seems pretty logical to me. Number two, do you remember what minimum wage was when you joined the official workforce? Back in the spring of 2001, the first real job that I had that wasn't dog walking or telemarketing, seven dollars an hour on the pin to work at club international video in montreal seven dollars on the pin ah what a time to be alive in the spring of 2002 Ah, to be young again over to ontario the city of toronto estimates it will cost 380 million dollars to host world cup games in 2026 brenda molina navidad breaks it down
7: that's an increase of $80 million compared to a 2022 forecast. City officials say the increase is partly because Toronto was awarded a sixth group stage match for the 2026 World Cup, instead of the five initially predicted. Toronto is also hosting one knockout stage contest. Toronto and Vancouver are the Canadian cities set to host matches during the tournament, which will also be played across the U.S. and Mexico. Hosting costs are expected to be shared by all levels of Government. Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press, Toronto.
0: I'd love to know the actual cost benefit analysis. If you're saying 60 games is, or six games is going to cost $380 million, what do you get for selling, say, 25 or 30,000 tickets for a game? Like, how many hotel rooms is that? Really? How many restaurant reservations is that really relative to what you would have made if people had just gone to the bar to watch the games anyway? I I would love to see a cost-benefit analysis here because this isn't necessarily a situation like the Vancouver Olympics where you're building extensions of the SkyTrain or the Sea to Sky Highway or investing in the downtown core and building new facilities. No, you're just using a pre-existing soccer stadium that's already in a deeply inconvenient part of town that the public transit they want to build isn't going to be ready by 2026. So what's the CBA? What's the cost-benefit analysis? Just thoughts for you this morning. I'm full of thoughts for you this morning. And finally, in the prairies, to lighten the mood a little bit, a case of old hockey cards found in Saskatchewan has gone up for auction... It fetched more than $3.7 million. Steve Lambert shuffles up this report.
8: The case of sealed 1979 hockey cards was found in a storage room in a home in Regina. It contains more than 10,000 cards, likely including 20 or more rare Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in pristine condition. Heritage Auction says the longtime collector has asked to remain anonymous. The spokesperson says he doesn't expect the winning bidder will open the boxes, as they are even rarer than the rookie cards. Steve Lambert, The Canadian Press.
0: Thank you very much, Steve. In 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller will brag about how nice the weather is in the greater Toronto area. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Rob Westgate with your morning business minutes.
5: The North American markets experienced a bit of a slide yesterday, Toronto's S&P TSX dropping 89 points to 21,324. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 62 points to settle at 39,069, while the Nasdaq slipped 21 points down to 15,976. Asian markets mostly in the green this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up just six points at 39,240, while the Hang Seng in Hong Kong faring slightly better, up 156 points to close at 16,791. Canada's largest public pension funds are showing modest improvement when it comes to climate action. Now defunct Lynx Air is just the latest in a long line of discount carriers that have failed to take off. And Scotiabank and BMO are set to reveal their first quarter earnings this morning as the reporting season begins. As for the loonie, it's trading at 74.10 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate.
0: Thank you very much, Rob. Let's go back to Elizabeth Moeller for the daily weather reports. Elizabeth, I'm teasing you a little bit that it's just about the GTA, but there is some really nice weather around Ontario.
1: There sure is, Dave, that warm weather in Ontario, it does continue. Those daytime temperatures are going to remain warmer than usual for the next week, with temps dipping down in the nighttime before trampolining back up again in the daytime. It might even get so warm that we break records for February, and we can also expect showers throughout the province. Later in the week, we are going to have a big area of warm air that's going to move in from the great lakes and there's got to be a lot of low pressure systems moving around in the us and that's going to push temps up higher than usual for this time of year and we can continue to expect temps to get above 10 degrees celsius or more on tuesday today some places in southwestern and northwestern ontario could even hit Temperatures in the double digits. Places like Windsor and London are going to reach 11 degrees Celsius. Places farther north, like Fort Francis, could get close to breaking that all February record that hasn't been broken since 2017 to a warmest temperature. Dave, I was out, I think it was late last week or the week before, and it was so warm that I didn't have a coat on. I was sitting in a coffee shop on the patio having a coffee.
0: That's how warm it's been. Yeah, that was uh, last Thursday. It was a really, yeah. really nice day around the GTA. And then Friday night, it got real cold again. And now there it's uh, and now it's real nice again. So uh, yeah, there are wardrobe choices that have to be made. And you must choose wisely in the GTA this time of year. Elizabeth, thank you for this. Talk to you a little bit later You're in welcome. the show. You bet. That's Elizabeth Moeller at the weather desk. Coming up after the break, the weather conversation continues about the El Nino weather system and some of the implications that's going to have for weather patterns this year. Lawrence Gunther will take a closer look. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. According to weather experts, the El Niño weather system is weakening. That could mean that its counterpart, La Niña, is on the way. El Niño is a climate pattern where the Pacific Ocean becomes unusually warm, which therefore produces milder weather. On the other hand, La Niña produces colder temperatures in the Pacific. So what does that mean for you In 2024, Lawrence Gunther is putting on his meteorologist hat to give you some guidance. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hey, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing great, Lawrence. Nobody likes a weatherman because they always get these things wrong. So you're ready to play the enemy today, aren't you?
8: You know what? People who love fishing, who love the outdoors, we're always watching the weather, right? You never know what's going to come. And it really does impact what you can and can't do.
0: Lawrence, let's start with a bit of a power rankings here. Some folks are talking about El Nino. Some people are talking about climate change. Some people are saying the weather is just random. Weather is random, Lawrence. I think they're a little wrong on that one. Which do you think is having the most influence over a lot of the uh, extreme weather that occurred here in the last 18 months?
8: Well, El Nino and La Nina, they're both sort of extremes, right? El Nino, like what we've gone through now, we've got these warmer, drier weather patterns, you know, winds that are are sort of in different directions, a a warmer Pacific Ocean near the equator, warmer water along the coast of uh, the west coast of Canada and cooler water along the east coast of Canada. So there's all sorts of things that change. But it doesn't excuse climate change, right? I mean, climate change is, is ratcheting everything up and making everything warmer. So you can't blame El Nino for, you know, the hottest, Year on record in terms of what we know in terms of hottest years, which we had last year, right? You can't blame El Nino for that. You can blame El Nino for a whole bunch of things,
0: <laughs> all the fires and all the everything else, but not that. Not just like the raw, the raw counting numbers. So, yeah. what are the expectations? What are the implications if La Nina returns?
8: We're going to have more cooler weather again, right? We're going to have maybe a, a stronger winter this coming year. We're going to have maybe a, a little more wind this summer, a, a more rain, less dry weather throughout uh, Quebec and Ontario. So it means maybe less, uh, less uh, fire that we had last year. I mean, last year was a record fire less drought on the west coast uh, and in the south of uh, the united states along the western you know they had such hot weather last summer throughout the united states and, and drought it, it was really extreme that way with, uh, with el nino so la nino should moderate all that a little bit plus uh, boost it up a little bit you know more more windy weather more You know, getting out on the lake and experience those midday winds that sort of bring up that chop and get you rocking and rolling. So that could be happening. But when it comes, it's it's anyone's guess, right? Like El Nino is definitely on the way out. And then we could just have nothing for a while. And then La Nina will come. But when is the question?
0: Yeah, it leads me to the question about the summer, right? Some experts Mm -hmm. are already predicting another significant forest fire summer. And if La Nina is going to be on a little bit of an echo or a delay here out of El Nino, that stands to reason that a lot of the groundwork or framework that has been left by El Nino will lead to another difficult summer for Canadians.
8: Oh yeah, we have no snowpack. We've had very little snow all winter across Canada. So that you know, it's all melting now, right? You have no snow where you are. We have, we have maybe uh, you know a, a, a six inches of snow, a total of maybe a foot and a half of snow all winter. We had hardly any snow at all. So
0: which, I mean, which was, for Ottawa, which try. which by the way, so, sort of interrupt Lawrence, but for Ottawa, yeah. that's an unbelievably low amount of snow.
8: Oh, yeah, Dave, you know, like snowbanks around here in the wintertime can be, you know, absolutely colossal, right? You you need snowshoes to get over the snowbanks across the roads. You know, it's uh hey, for sure, you know, we're going to have a dry spring. And it, unless we get a ton of rain, which is not what El Nino is famous for, we're not going to get a ton of rain. It, it, it may could mean less bugs, but at the same time, because we never really had a really severe or cold winter, could mean more bugs because the the bugs were able to survive through the winter,
0: especially ticks, right?
8: This could be a tough year for ticks.
0: Well, it goes back to the idea of extremes, right? That that if there was a lot of snowpack and a lot of precipitation over the winter, then in the spring, you'd be concerned about a lot of the flooding that certainly occurred in 2019, 2021. There was a ton of flooding in parts of the country because of the amount of precipitation, but this might just be the extreme reverse where now we're going to be talking about drought really really early in the summer season
8: low lake levels which means if you're out paddling or boating around on the water you got to watch out for those rocks because they're going to be near the surface or just below the surface you know where you used to be able to go no problem without bumping into anything that might not be the case this year
0: now, there, are, there could be some positives here with La Nina coming in from a more international perspective. Lawrence, I'm going to go way off the board on you. I don't know how much you've been following the Panama Canal, but there are mm-hmm. massive shipping delays going on due to drought conditions around the Panama Canal that have been somewhat set in by El Nino, and it's causing a supply chain catastrophe in that part of the world. So I, I, sometimes when you have these conversations, it might always seem like the temptation is doom and gloom, but a little more precipitation for places like Panama could actually be a really good thing for the overall international economy
8: oh for sure Dave even the Great Lakes or the shipping on the Great Lakes you know we have the St. Lawrence Seaway and if, if the water levels are low and you can't just push a lot of water out the Great Lakes and down the St. Lawrence Seaway that's going to become uh, problematic too right there's a lot of shoals and uh, hazards along the St. Lawrence uh, you know it, we've had it before where you can get a lot of ships grounded there and oh yeah it doesn't take much
0: uh you mentioned a little bit about uh, rocks on the lakes how has el nino impacted your own outdoor time because you're an outdoors man over there how's it impacted well, you
8: uh, oh you know starting last summer dave with all the forest fires you know it's one thing to say okay stay inside uh you know close your windows if you like the outdoors that's that's a real kick in the pants right i mean you know, we all like a campfire, but, you know, if the campfire is blowing your way, you can just go around the other side of the campfire out of the smoke. When it's like last summer, there was no escape in the smoke. You try to do something, you know, outside where you're exercising, where you're, you know, hiking, you're doing, splitting wood, anything, paddling, you know, you're 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 pushing your lungs and you're breathing in all that fine, fine smoke particulate. It's really not good for your health, for your long-term health. So that, that was a big you know, okay, it's just smoke, but no, it's not just smoke. This is your long-term health impact. Mm -hmm. Then there was, you know, the the ice this winter, Dave, like so many ice fishermen and, and fisherwomen broke through the ice. And if it wasn't for flotation suits becoming very popular, a lot of people going on the ice now have flotation suits, we would have had a lot more drownings as mm, it is, mm. you know, we lost a lot, a lot of equipment, a lot of side-by-side snowmobiles, uh, even trucks went through the ice. People did die. There's no doubt about it. You know, it, it's been a, a very, very short ice fishing season. and And for people who sell ice fishing equipment, for people who are outfitters who take people ice fishing, uh, you know, that's for six weeks every winter and make a, a big chunk of money to support themselves. A lot of that didn't happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, there, there are resorts all over Eastern Ontario where you rent the cottage and you get a hut alongside it for the weekend. And it's one of the coolest experiences you're ever going to have because you get the bouginess of cottage life and the outdoorsiness of the ice fishing. But yeah, a lot of those folks might have only gotten what, maybe a few weeks of business when typically they might get oh, yeah. a couple months.
8: Oh yeah, like you know, I was booked for Tommy Cod on the uh, Saint Lawrence River. That you know was delayed by four weeks and and ended probably you know four weeks earlier. So they had an extremely short season. A lot of that stuff just it never happened. I mean, the canal here was open for ten days on the Rideau Canal for skating, and half of that was walking only, and the ice conditions were (laughs) horrific. Right? Still better than last year though, because they had zero days last year i know i know so uh, you know all that stuff like you know skiing snowshoeing cross-country skiing on ice it's not fun right yeah, it's not yeah. fun to be going out there on the ice all the time and wearing cleats and uh it's it's just not the same
0: hey lawrence what's coming up on the next edition of outdoors with lawrence gunther
8: well, a friend of mine just published a book on where are the sharks. He's uh, he's a
0: professor. Too at close. They're University. too close to me, as far as I'm concerned.
8: <laughs> yeah, when do we have great white sharks now cruising the eastern seaboard of uh, of Canada again? You know, Dave, this was when their when they attacks. when they
0: show up in Lake Ontario, Lawrence, we're gonna have some problems.
8: <laughs> well, we'll see what kind of invasive species,
0: and if they take the form of great white <laughs> sharks, we'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. Tell, t- t- tell me a bit more about your friend's book. Sorry.
8: Oh, no, no. He's he's a shark expert, you know, and he's been diving and studying rays. He's been on all sorts of TV shows, you know, Shark Week and all that stuff. He He is the go-to guy when it comes to sharks on Eastern Canada. And, uh, so he's written a book. He, you know, I think you and I talked about him uh, a few years ago when he had that great white encounter whilst uh, diving off the coast of uh, Nova Scotia. And he came up and, uh, he was being circled by a, a 12 foot great white. And, uh, yeah, he almost lost his, um, Lost his swimsuit that day, I'll tell you.
0: Well, but, uh, I certainly would have. I certainly would have made a mess in my swimsuit if I was in that situation. <laughs> oh my goodness! Can you imagine? Oh, ooh.
8: Wow. Ooh. And, ooh. and the last ten meters to the, he was down. He was down a hundred feet. The last ten meters bef- between the surface and him was just murky water, and he had to swim through that murk to get to his boat. And, and after being circled three times by that great white, he thought for sure, if I go into that murk, it's it, I, I won't even see it coming. <laughs> so that that was the ultimate scare for him, just getting into the boat. But he, he managed. Him and his camera guy managed, and uh, but it, it, it rattled him. But he's written a book about it now, and he's yeah, and and shark. So we'll we'll get more information about what's going on in the shark situation out there
0: well uh thank you for that nightmare fuel but also sounds like a fantastic episode of outdoors lawrence thank you for this
8: (laughs) my pleasure dave have a good one
0: that's lawrence gunther he's the host of outdoors with lawrence gunther you can find that show saturdays 2 30 p.m eastern time on ami audio and you can follow lawrence on x at lawrence gunther at lawrence gunther coming up next What's your favorite low-tech tool? Community reporter Anna Kim discusses the power of simple technology for accessibility. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. A reminder about the daily poll at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What is a low-tech life hack? that improves the quality of your life. Not giving you options today, forcing you to answer the question outright at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook, feedback at ami.ca or one 509 4545 What inspired this daily poll is some work that Anna Kim has been doing. Anna is a community reporter in Wetaskiwa Alberta who's been introducing some low tech and simple tech solutions into her educational experience hey good morning Anna nice to chat with you once again
3: good morning I'm excited to kind of talk about some of this stuff
0: oh it it really spawned quite the conversation in the post-show meeting today uh, yesterday and spawned quite the conversation in segment one this morning I'm curious what have you been incorporating into your educational experience
6: This isn't,
3: let's clarify really quick what low, like low tech is. It's not necessarily the things that require batteries or are electronic. So something that I find is very useful is the sound on streetlights, which you think would be common sense. But in a matter of education, I have found that science classes incorporating things like tactile or silicone mats, non-slip mats, um, audible scales, Tactile measuring cups, all of these simple things that no one really thinks about that I personally did not have in my own science classes in high school. And in researching some of this stuff, I'm realizing, wow, am I ever behind in just the simple tech world? I've been introduced to iPads and Visio books and a bunch of different types of audio forms, but nothing as simple as just the little things that can make. Classes is easy, easier, you know, the, the simple audio books, the little tactile science tools, um, the high contrast papers, something along those lines that no one introduced me to until I found out about it very recently.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's stuff that used to be a, I don't want to say commonplace, commonplace isn't the right word, but it used to be a little more old school, right? You'd go into one of the CNIB shops and they would have all this stuff and it was sort of front and center And more and more, there's been a drift towards, like you said, the high tech, the the smartphones, and the fancy iPads, and some of this stuff Mm -hmm. that's a little bit higher barrier to entry and maybe a little bit more complex and requires some training. And Anna, it can actually go beyond things like accessibility. There's some things that are just universal life experiences. A few of the examples that I shared, we're just keeping uh, Lysol wipes in my bathroom and kitchen so it's easy counter cleanup on the fly. Uh, Quarter size and half size baking sheets that are easier to clean in the sink or easier to store (laughs) in the oven, right? There's there's all these little things that exist out there that are low-cost, low-tech, that improve the quality of life. But what you identified there is, wait, nobody was telling me about this stuff. Like, where is this stuff hidden? What do you think that says more broadly about the need for ongoing consultation, but continuity of accessibility and adaptation inside the educational space?
3: See, it seems like education the education system as a whole is moving yes more towards that high tech you know let's have everyone have chromebooks so that it's easier for them and and make all of these drastic changes well not drastic it's kind of been a gradual thing and move away from that simple stuff and it's kind of being left behind so it needs some of it needs to be reintroduced back into schools because something as simple as a high contrast measuring cup isn't just beneficial for me. It could be beneficial for everyone in mm-hmm, the classroom. Mm-hmm. But because because they aren't leaning towards those simple little things and no one's doing any research into it and no one's taking into consideration how much it actually helps people, there's no need for it. And no one's speaking out about it because they don't think it's a thing that needs to happen, right? And the old, we'll say old-style technology didn't necessarily incorporate some of that stuff either because the science classes that I was in is just the really simple beakers and and measuring cups that have the white lines that were a pain to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and no one mentioned the tactile version of it and how it could be useful to anyone. So we, in some cases... They kind of just skipped over the entire idea of old technology and accessibility there and jumped right into that, those, those new things and, and embraced that side without looking through this kind of period of, well, how can we make this a little easier with the stuff that we already have?
0: It's it's sometimes the mystery that goes along with the experience of living with a disability that every now and then you come across something and go oh wow that's really uh, that's really cool I wish I'd known about that earlier but if there was any kind of institutional memory or a lack of institutional forgetfulness then then it would actually be a little bit more straightforward right it wouldn't just be uh, dumbfounded joy discoveries along the way
3: <laughs> yeah. Hundred
7: percent,
3: and it's just boggling that none of this ever came up in any of my twelve years of schooling, and I'm just now figuring it out going into university. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah, it's emblematic of uh, something bigger. Okay, Anna, let's turn to a little bit of fun. Bill Nye the Science Guy is coming to Edmonton. Uh, I've got a couple Bill Nye memories from when I was a kid. What are some of your Bill Nye memories?
3: Oh my goodness. I remember kindergarten to grade six during lunch hour, my teacher would put on a Bill Nye video and then leave the classroom to go eat their lunch. And we'd all <laughs> sit there just enamored with all of this cool kind of s- simple science that he would put on. And, you know, in the mind of a seven-year-old, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I listened to some Bill Nye videos in my grade tenure in high school. So he was relevant, kind of all throughout it he was a very broad spectrum guy
0: it's it's pretty amazing to think that someone who had such an amazing influence on me when I was in elementary school uh, you know 40 years later still having influence on people uh, I like that continuity monoculture might be dying but Bill Nye the science guy is not <laughs>
3: Of course not. You need such an icon to teach you science. I can't yes. imagine science class without him.
0: Yeah, where would we be without David Suzuki and Bill Nye the Science Guy? Uh, Anna, what are some of the topics that uh, Bill's going to be presenting when he visits uh, Edmonton?
3: It looks like he's basing it off of his series, The Nye, uh, the, the End is Nye. Um, and I mean, what better way to talk about world doom than through the fun and charismatic person that Bill Nye is? Yeah, we're going to talk about how we're all going to die one day, but it'll be fun talking about it. Oh, God. And so he focuses a lot on, you know, what what are the things that could cause world disaster, climate change, the sudden eruption of volcanoes and and how that works and kind of how we can fix it with, with the science that we have today.
0: And those volcanoes—they're always looming. They're always around. You never know. All right, Bill Knight the Science Guy, is going to be at the Northern Alberta Jubilee Auditorium on March 2nd in Edmonton. For more information, you can call seven eight zero or visit jubileeauditorium.com. Okay, Anna, one more here to put on the radar. The Alberta Craft Beer Festival is taking place across a few cities in the province. Um, Anna, I don't even know if you're old enough to be talking about this. What sets Edmonton's event apart from the rest?
3: Well, Edmonton is the central of Alberta, so it it opens the door for so many more people to have it be for it to be accessible to everyone, and it's an amazing place where people can come together and and taste all of these different breweries and distilleries. I think it said there's 97. I'm not much of a drinker myself. I can I can drink, but I, I know I know some people are very much into uh into the beer that. The beer culture that is in <laughs> Alberta, so I figure I may as well talk about it. Appeal to the masses.
0: Yeah, I know nothing. I know nothing about it. I know no, I know nothing about craft beer culture. <laughs> I certainly don't celebrate every day on my walk home uh, when I pass by the store. Uh, Anna, what what about the venue itself? Any any accessibility uh, things you want to mention here?
3: Yeah, the Edmonton Expo Center. I've done a few competitions there. It's nice it's open there's lots of different ways to get in and out so much parking it's wheelchair accessible there's always staff and people around to help which makes things so much easier the amount of times where you know it does kind of it's an expo center it all kind of looks the same so i'm walking around you know post archery competition and i kind of get lost (laughs) luckily they have people everywhere and maps all over the places you know, big and little, so a lot of people can read them, and it it's easy to get around once you know where you're going, and it's nice and wide open, and there's lots of things to do there, so it's A good place to have such a large and uh, lively event.
0: Okay, Anna, now that you've put the qualifier out there that you are old enough to uh, drink beer, let's at least have one question on the way out of here. How experimental are you willing to get with a craft beer? Uh, Pumpkin spice beer, sour beers, uh, maple cream ales? How, how, How adventurous are you willing to get if you popped by the festival?
3: I have no idea. I've always been told, try everything at least once. And I have this horrible habit of trying something. And if I don't like it, then I, you know, stray away from it. But if it comes up again, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I'll like it this time. (laughs) And so I try it again. That's usually not how it works, but you try. And so, I mean, I don't know, no, kind of Dabble, taste, and see what there is. <laughs> play it by actually, ear. I know nothing about beer, so ah. I'd, I'd leave the, the expertise up to you.
0: You'll play it by taste bud. Play it by taste bud. Exactly. There, there are a couple of great pumpkin ales that come out every year that I really that I really end up enjoying. Really? Uh, and I, I'm right with you. I'm someone who also doesn't let my first experience on something turn me off forever. I uh, used to despise olives, and now as Ooh. life has changed my feelings about olives have changed, and I'm now, especially green olives, really into. Really? Uh-huh.
3: Wow. Well, that means that I should just go try olives again, because I'm not a fan. Uh, well,
0: see, when I wanted to see what I When I was a boy, I didn't like them either. Uh, Anna, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Talk to you in a couple weeks.
6: You know what
0: the That's Anna Kim, community reporter. The Alberta Craft Beer Festival runs March 8th and 9th at the Edmonton Expo Centre. Visit albertabeerfestival.com to learn more. In one minute, Laura Bain has the entertainment report. But first, the U.S. Supreme Court is hearing arguments about online free speech. Mike Dubusky offers some more context in Tech Trends. This week, the Supreme Court heard opening arguments in what could be some of the most important free speech cases of the Internet era. Texas and
8: Florida are worried that social media platforms are taking down essentially too much conservative content. And and so they passed these laws to try to stop that.
0: Neil Chilson is the former chief technologist at the FTC. The gist of them is essentially
8: that platforms have to treat all content on them more or less the same. And so uh, they
0: restrict, they, they set rules for how platforms can do content moderation. But Chilson says the social media companies argue the laws themselves infringe on their own First Amendment rights. By restricting how the social media platforms can moderate content on their platforms some justices monday expressed skepticism at the state's arguments suggesting the cases should be sent back to lower courts for further review with tech trends i'm mike debuski abc news thank you very much mike let's turn to the world of entertainment laura bain a uh, hip-hop icon is making a comeback
6: Yeah, uh, Lil John has just released a meditation album. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) So he's, of course, usually associated with bangers like turn down for what and get low. So this might seem like a bit of a departure to some. It did to me, which is why this caught my attention. But he's actually been meditating for years before performances to boost his focus and afterward to help him relax. Uh, So the album is called Total Meditation and it features 10 meditation tracks guided by Little John and each is about 10 minutes long. There's names like (laughs) Relieve Anxiety, Nurture Friendships and Coping with Grief. And I brought us just a little clip from the opening, which really gives you an idea of the tone of the album, if we want to give that a listen.
5: Hey, it's Little John. I'd like to welcome you to Total Meditation. Ten guided meditations to relieve anxiety, boost focus. Uh, Yeah, how what? Okay. (laughs)
6: I really wish, Dave, that we could have played a little more of that, but alas, uh, copyright laws, uh, because, well, he goes on to say after that, he says, that's right, we're going to turn down the volume um, in a way that I found just, like, very charmingly self-aware, so I listened to a few of the meditations last night and this morning, and I will kind of say that I've been an on-and-off meditator for about 25 years. I I didn't mind the guided meditations that I listened to. I I really appreciate that he was authentically himself. It is hokey. There's that kind of he does a lot of whispering, like, um, you know, take a
0: breath. Oh, well, he thing. should he should have brought in his old friends, the Ying Yang twins, if he was going to do that.
6: But I find like it's it's hokey in a self aware, authentic way. If that makes sense. Um, and for the most part, I think the audience for this is going to be people who aren't otherwise meditators, but who kind of are brought in because they're Lil John fans. And looking online at uh, some of the comments on social media and checking out some review videos, it seems like fans are liking the album. It did spend some time at the top of the iTunes well-being uh, chart for some of the tracks and uh you know i think people are commenting that they're hearing his voice and laughing but that's not really a problem there's there, there's nothing wrong with bringing a little bit of humor into your meditation oh practice, yeah as long oh. as you can kind of like it doesn't yeah it's that's not a bad thing because you you hear him you sound like himself you know and and i think he's very aware of that and then you kind of laugh and you're like oh this isn't a good meditation album but i don't think that's the case i think uh there's different teachers for all different people but what do you think dave would you give a try for the meditation tracks I, on this album?
0: I, I am an irregular meditator. I spend more time working on gratitude. And I know sometimes that is incorporated in meditation. I really don't like guided meditation, I I don't like being told what to do and when to breathe and how to breathe. I like to be my own man. But Laura, I'm with you 100% on the idea of tearing down the barrier to entry to meditation, that it doesn't need to be stiff and stodgy and happening at a $100 an hour studio or buy a $3,000 meditation plan from some online huckster, I, I, I do think the more you can do to tear down the barriers and make people feel comfortable with the idea of meditating, it can be really beneficial. And I think whatever whatever somebody can do with their platform like Lil John, providing they're at least serious about it or somewhat serious about it, or at least like you said, authentic about it, then then there's like there's nothing to criticize here. If someone wants to enjoy it, go enjoy it. It hurts nobody.
6: Yeah, for sure. And and there is a gratitude meditation track on the album. I listened to it this morning. It wasn't my jam but as I say I wouldn't say that it was bad it just I do also like to have my own practice maybe that comes down to a little bit of a controlling personality I'm not sure but something that I was hearing a lot of people say online about this is oh I would meditate but I'm bad at it well I just one comment I just want to make as someone who's been meditating for a long time yes everybody is bad at it and that's why it's called a practice so um you know nobody is is unable to meditate. I'd say if you try it and you feel distracted and you find it difficult, then you're probably doing it right.
0: All right, there you go. Look at that positivity right there. Hey, Laura, you're hanging around a little bit longer today. You're stopping by in Mm -hmm. the second hour of the show to talk about uh, digital nomads. So don't go too far. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. That's Laura Bain at the entertainment desk coming up after the break. It's a busy time of year for a bunch of Canadian hockey teams. Brock Richardson and I will do Bit of an NHL recap here. Check the temperature on a couple teams ahead of the trade deadline and the intensifying of the playoff races. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio at AMIplus.ca. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Coming up in the second hour of the show, would you consider becoming a digital nomad? Taking up a lifestyle that let you work and travel all over the place? Laura Bain dives into this evolving travel trend. And it's another chance to put your knowledge to the test as part of the weekly news quiz. Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Elizabeth Moller will battle it out on air. But of course, you can play along at home. It's a busy time of year in the world of hockey, so let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, lots to round up here around the National Hockey League. May as well start with a Canadian team who was in action last night. The Edmonton Oilers dethroned the LA Kings to snap a little losing streak they've been on.
4: Yeah, uh, this was seemingly all the talk in the uh, Edmonton broadcast yesterday about this little bit of a losing streak they're on. Um, Connor McDavid isn't scoring at the same clip that he has been and as Connor McDavid goes, so do the Edmonton Oilers. He's pocketed a ton of assists lately. Uh, he was also tongue in cheek yesterday in the uh, post game, saying basically that I had a new strategy and I'm gonna stop scoring goals and I'm gonna dish out assists more than uh, goals. He was obviously being totally sarcastic. I just thought it was funny the way that he, uh, he he said it. And I think the other thing, Dave, that I've noticed is during this sort of a moment where they're having a bit of a a slump. And I know they won last night, but uh, since that 16-game winning streak, they're kind of um, not playing as well defensively, not as well as they were. And when you do that, you're putting more pressure on your goaltender, in this case, Stuart Skinner. And I think that that's all subject. So between Connor McDavid and the big boys, not really – doing what they need to do from on the scoring sheet, and then you're not playing as well defensively, that puts a lot of pressure, and I think that's where we currently are stand with the Edmonton Oilers
0: and they continued not to play particularly well on defense last night Stuart Skinner their goaltender faced uh, 40 shots now he was he stood on his head and that was one of the things during the 16 game win streak he did not allow more than three goals in any of those games when they were on the streak so it's not just a question of are we playing well defensively it's are we asking our goalie to stand on his head and Stuart Skinner after a really rough start to the season has been up to the task for the most part
4: yeah one hundred percent um and I think you do have to watch how much you're asking your goalie to uh stand on his head. I mean, goalies can do that you know a couple of times a week, sure, but you don't want to do that as a consistently because you wear down your goaltender and then we Burn them out yeah start start to collapse as as things go on, and I think when you start to collapse defensively and then your goaltender's not doing as as well as he was, it all kind of compounds into. One into the next thing and I and I think that's what you're seeing with Edmonton here.
0: So the L.A. Kings are staying in Alberta. They play the Calgary Flames tonight at the uh, Saddle Dome. Uh, Brock, Calgary's only a few points out of a playoff spot right now. They've got a ton of pending unrestricted free agents. They've already made a sell trade. They already traded their second-line center, Elias Lindholm. Where are you at with the Flames here, Brock? Because my lean here is you should blow this thing up. But they're sniffing so close to the playoffs right now that I wonder if maybe they don't.
4: Yeah, it's it's funny because what are you trying to gain when you're sniffing so close? Do you believe that you're going to be a contender, or do you believe, do you just want to make it into the playoffs? That's the question that I have with with Calgary. If they get in, how far are they going? Nowhere. The big question Nowhere. Is, They're going to get smoked what? in the first rounds. Exactly. So so, wouldn't you rather get some level of capital? If you're going to get smoked in the first round, I would think so. My biggest question with the trade deadline coming uh, next week, Friday, is what do you do with defenseman Noah Hannafin? He is the biggest fish on the trade bait board. What do you do with him? Do you give him to a team that could use defensive help? Uh, do, you, do you keep him? Like, what do you do? That, to me, is the biggest question. And I think if, if you're Calgary and you're looking in the mirror going, what are we? And you're going to ad- admit to yourself – we're gonna get smoked in the first round, regardless. Let's get some capital. That would be my lean as well, Dave. Uh, speaking of
0: capital, the Ottawa Senators fell to the Washington Capitals last night, six to three. The Ottawa Senators, Brock, they've started to put it together here and there a little bit, but it just—I I know you and I have done this a million times this year. Still, just such a disappointing season. They're—they're they're so far out of a playoff spot. It doesn't matter if they're putting things together at this point in the year.
4: Yeah, it's. It's interesting because this morning I was uh, watching, uh, you know, the Sportsnet recap stuff, and and they were saying that it's it's a big loss for the Senators, and I and I and I kind of wonder why it's a big loss because, and I think it alludes to what you say in that they've been here and there. I don't think they're getting into the playoffs whether they won or lost. Oh, Brock, night. they have it's no just, chance. They have no chance. They're right. so they're way right. they're way too far out. Right, and that's that's where I was kind of like what are we talking about that yesterday was this colossal big loss? Like there's 16 points out of a, out of a playoff spot and would have to leap a whole mess of teams. Like for me, I just don't understand the narrative there at all. I don't agree with it. I think the Ottawa senators, this is a disappointing year. And I, and I think if you're a sense fan, you had a lot of optimism starting the year. And right now we're back into that disappointing land. And maybe now you lean towards, what are we gonna get in the summer? And hopefully we can rebuild this and maybe have some real serious optimism that we can do something with next season. Because yeah. I know they had it this year. Yeah. And it just hasn't happened. Yeah, they're in Nashville tonight. That that is a hockey arena that I would love to visit sometime on a, a little boys' trip. It's a beautiful uh, arena. To, have beautiful. you been? Yes. It's it's absolutely a beautiful arena they uh know what they're doing it's a it's a wonderful arena in nashville just the place of their arena downtown and right in the center of music city it's just it's a wonderful wonderful atmosphere was, was that
0: so a I, was that a hockey game or a music concert that you went down there for because i know you're a big, big country not, music fan
4: it was not a hockey game that i went down there for but it was just the venue and it, uh, it's a beautiful beautiful venue and I would also like to get down there for a hockey game, but I have been within the walls for a a country music concert or two in that, in that. Cool. Cool. All right. Let's talk about a
0: few more games on deck tonight. Let's go. We just did bad vibes with Ottawa. Let's do good vibes with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Three wins in a row for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Brock,
4: they're one of the best teams in the NHL and you and I never talk about them. Yeah, they are. (laughs) They are. And and we should give them more love. I think, you know, I think when you think of Winnipeg and, and what they've done, they've just been that consistent team that just continues to get it from their forwards to their goaltending. And it, it's really, really fun to watch Winnipeg. There is a little bit of rumours that are surfacing with Winnipeg about attendance, crowds, etc. But that team just keeps rolling along and doing their thing well brock Brock, it's not
0: rumors it's reporting it's reporting chris johnston wrote an extended piece about this their season ticket base is down to nine thousand season tickets and they're having a lot of trouble selling out that arena they have the second lowest attendance
4: in the league ahead of only arizona so this isn't rumors this is reporting and it's it's too bad that it's that level of reporting when you have such a good consistent team and it gets muddied with uh reporting like like that and and again they're just reporting the facts unfortunately but there there is real serious talk about do we move you know Winnipeg yet again oh, and i think it would be, be re- terrible really bad really bad look for the nhl um but i i hope it just turns around because this team deserves deserves to be supported 100% There's just
0: so many players on that team that I love. I've loved watching Nikolai Ellers, their forward, play hockey since he played for the Halifax Mooseheads with Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Druin. He is such an underrated player. Kyle Connor missed like a month of the season with a knee injury. He's probably still going to hit 40 goals this year, Brock. Like, they are just such an exciting team to watch play. I love the Winnipeg Jets. They don't get nearly enough love. Nearly enough love. Okay, let's turn to a team that gets too much love. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs sprock they're uh looking to win the most games in a row for the franchise in what 30 or 40 years tonight
4: yeah we we, we passed the 20 mark 20 year mark with the uh seven game win streak and now we're getting into 30 and 40 years uh, of 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 win streak this is a team that has some talent but also has some questions their their goaltending is going to become a real question of like what do we do we've got Elias Samsonov doing his thing we've got joseph wall coming back we've got matt murray kind of lingering in the background of like do we keep three goaltenders i think you do because what else what else do you do i i think goaltenders are one of those players that are like oh, we'll we'll be okay with two but sometimes injuries happen where you're just like um this happened and now we're down and we're struggling so to me if i'm the leafs I leave my, my capital with my goaltending and just sort of see where things go. But this team just seems to be rolling on Austin Matthews, and he continues to score. But uh, we'll see if they can uh, double down tonight against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights as they won in Vegas. And uh, let's see if they can do it again at home. They've They've had some struggles at home, Dave, this year. They haven't won that much at home as much as they have in the past, and this is something that really has to change. But I like the vibe right now that I'm seeing in Toronto. Well,
0: yeah, when, you win, when you win seven games in a row, the vibes better be good. Like, <laughs> I, like, I don't
4: know what you're talking about. Like, you've won seven yeah. in a
0: row. Like, appreciate the moment here a little bit. You know, you beat the defending Stanley Cup champion from this year and the defending Stanley Cup champion from last year in the last two games. Come on, man. Like, you know, where's a little bit of optimism and happiness? All right, I'm going to give you a three seconds here on the Montreal Canadiens. The wheels are coming off. They're playing Arizona tonight. Thank goodness the wheels might pop back on. Finally, bro. Brock, we land in Vancouver where they're hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight who are coming off a total crackerjack of a game on Sunday afternoon against the Flyers that finished 7-6 to six in favor of the Penguins. The Canucks, they stumbled a little bit coming out of the All-Star break, but it looks like they've righted the ship here a bit. Brock, your vibe on Sidney Crosby going to visit Vancouver tonight.
4: It's always uh, good when Sidney Crosby does the uh, Canada Tour, I I still think he he is one of the the most um, good vibe people that come around Canada because obviously he's done a lot of good for Canada, golden goal, and I think he deserves the love that he gets around. I don't think his team is as... In fact, I'm not even going to say I don't think. His team is not as good as it once was. There's no question about that. Vancouver is... Another one of those teams that just doesn't get as much love as they should. We started the season by saying, don't embarrass yourself. And they've really, really gone back and said, no, we're going to do our thing. And there's been times where the coaches come out and said, look, there was no effort here and I need to see that. The team seems to be responding whenever they get called out like that. I like it. So I think also good vibes in vancouver for the most part
0: Sidney crosby uh 22nd in league scoring at 36 years old i know 22nd doesn't sound mind-blowing but consider that there's like 600 players in the league that's still pretty darn good brock thank you for this go ahead
4: also, does it also shock you that Sidney Crosby's thirty-six years old? Because I, I, I struggle with that too. Brock, my I knees, my Cindy. knees,
0: my knees hurt all the time. Like my knees hurt all the time. Like that, it doesn't shock me that anybody gets old. Brock, thank you for this. Have a nice day. You too. That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, travel trends. Would you ever consider becoming a digital nomad? Laura Bain will dive into that evolving trend. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Have you ever considered traveling abroad while working remotely? The trend of a digital nomad lifestyle is catching on and continues to evolve. It caught the attention of Laura Bain, who wants to talk about it. Hello again, Laura. A third dose of Laura on the show today.
6: Yeah, hopefully people can stand it.
0: I, I can definitely stand it. You do great work. So, why did this topic pique your interest?
6: Well, Dave, I am obsessed with travel. Not to say I've done that much traveling, but it's something that's always of interest to me. And as a result, I watch a lot of travel videos on YouTube, and I definitely prefer the ones that are done by live humans rather than the AI generated ones. And I've noticed that a lot of the content creators that I'm watching in these videos are talking about their digital nomad lifestyle. And yes, you know, content creator, travel, vlogger is a career that you could have as a digital nomad probably the dream career of a lot of digital nomads but a lot of these people are doing that as a side hustle um, and for me I'm uh, not currently tethered to an office I am uh, I've got two courses left to do for school I could do them remotely if I wanted so you just think about the options Dave
0: how much has the trend grown
6: Oh, well, since the start of like, so prior to 2019, there were certainly digital nomads, but it was more of a fringe thing that people did. Um, but it's grown by threefold since that time. So certainly the pandemic and the kind of shift to remote work and the development of that infrastructure has had a big impact on the on the trend.
0: How is it evolving more recently recently?
6: Yeah, sure. Um, So, well, the first wave of digital nomads really was in 2021, 2022, after travel restrictions started to open up. And at that time we saw a lot more employed digital nomads. So people who were tethered to a regular job, but their office just hadn't called them back in yet. But in 2023, we've seen a lot more offices kind of requiring people to be either in the office full time or in two days a week. So this has slowed the growth of digital nomads, but the growth that's happening now is mostly amongst freelance digital nomads. And um, digital nomads that are employed have changed their travel to be closer to home. So say if their base is in the US, their office, they're going to just travel within that country in case they need to fly in for the occasional right, meeting. Right. Um, There's also this trend within a trend, it's called being a slow mad, which is basically where digital nomads are staying longer in fewer locations, maybe some of that initial frenzy with the lifestyle sort of dying down, but it reduces the logistics of travel and those hassles and allows them to form deeper connections in the place they're visiting and also be more productive work-wise because they're not always um, thinking, thinking about travel.
0: Yeah, Laura, that's really what I start thinking about in regards to whether or not I would find the lifestyle appealing. I don't mind a little bit of transience, like a little bit of transience is okay for me. I don't mind being on a little bit of a wander or a stroll through the world, but to a certain point, if I need to be productive. I require some creature comforts and stability. So being able to do remote work while simultaneously like uh, gallivanting around the world or around the country would really be a drawback for me.
6: Um, yeah, for, for, for sure. I mean, I think there's that, you know, and you have to be the right kind of person who's cut out for this, but, um, there's, you know, lots, uh, to think about if you're going to be the kind of nomad who's going to be traveling all over the place or just kind of based in a different location yeah. than where your, where your work is.
0: What are the challenges that nomads, that nomads report?
6: Oh, I'm sorry. I just had a little, I had a little cough. Okay. That it's was all good. Absolutely...
0: No, 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 no. It's all good. You're fighting it. You're stifling it. Take a second. <laughs> take a breath. I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious about the challenges. Like what are the challenges that go along with the lifestyle? Right. For me, I like doing laundry. I like doing laundry in my own home. I imagine there wouldn't be a lot of in suite laundry in my life
6: it really depends uh i I think that things that digital nomads tend to think about is internet connectivity of course because you're working remotely and uh, also thinking about taxation and work policies so a a lot of people just have an informal agreement with their employer that uh you know hey they're going to work remotely and then they're there just simply as a traveler or on a travel visa but if you do that you could be breaking the law And uh, you know, other things that you have to think about is what's the healthcare infrastructure like in the place that you are going? Uh, You have to think about banking because it can be pretty expensive if you're doing a lot of international transactions, phone plans, if you're moving from country to country a lot, there's logistics to think about, and the hassles of travel. And another thing that I think digital nomads need to think about is the potential negative impact on the economy that they are visiting. So some cases like Portugal, for example, um, has always been very popular for working expats because they have some of the lowest cost of living in Western Europe uh, and favorable visa policies. But because of the influx of digital nomads, they've actually had some issues happening related to, uh, you know, rents going yeah, up and they've yeah. had some local protests
0: yeah, no, that, that's one of the things, right, that you may end up uh, creating little tipping points in and around the various economies where you end up landing, uh, typically when you find a place that is low cost and a bunch of yuppies show up, uh, those costs go up because uh, yuppies bring their dollars alongside them. So you mentioned uh, Portugal. What are some of the other top destinations?
6: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the thing. A lot of times it is people moving from, uh, you know, wealthier countries such as Canada, the U.S., Britain, into countries with a lower cost of living, and so, you know, they're driving up rent prices and making a more difficult situation for locals. Well, according to... Uh, a Visa Guide World Report Spain is the number one best country in 2024 oh. for digital nomads, uh, with Argentina coming in at number two oh. and Romania coming in at number three. And, um, you know, some of this has to do with, uh, as I mentioned, internet connectivity, thinking about what the um, community of expats is like. And the popular countries are definitely going to have a visa option that works for remote workers. A lot of countries have specifically brought in digital nomad visas. Spain, for example, um, might be one that's becoming more popular because they've changed their policies to make it easier for digital nomads to bring their spouse over. So that's also something Mm. to consider. It's not just single people that adopt this lifestyle. Actually, 24% of digital nomads say that they travel with their their kids um, which of course introduces a lot a lot of other logistics
0: yeah it it doesn't surprise me that two of the top three are in the eu if only for digital nomads moving within the eu over to spain or over to romania based on the free movement of labor attached to the european union uh i'm curious laura would you ever adopt the lifestyle i I don't think it's for (laughs) me would it be for you
6: Maybe I'm going to answer your question. I'm just going to take a sip of water. Yeah, you can yeah, hear take, that I'm yeah, struggling. Sometimes take, you get that frog in your throat. Yeah,
0: take take the sip of water, recalibrate, do your thing, or you can just tell me to Dave drop the interview and we can move on. But I would like but I'm <laughs> no, but I'm but I'm genuinely curious if you would if you would do it if you would take the plunge.
6: Well, maybe, you know, uh, accessibility for me would be a huge consideration and what the accessibility is like in these countries. I think a lot of the places that I would be interested in moving to that have good accessibility, I think of somewhere like uh, the UK, for example, or Germany, as some cities are known for excellent accessibility, would probably actually have a higher cost of living than I do here in Nova Scotia, which kind of defeats the purpose in a way. A lot of times, you know, people are looking for a lower cost of living living another consideration is that the canadian dollar doesn't stack up favorably against the currencies in a lot of um, Mm, mm. different countries uh, and a lot of these visa requirements have minimum monthly incomes for example uh, 32 3280 euros is the minimum current income for portugal but that's almost five thousand dollars canadian that you have to be making a month Uh, that's pretty pretty steep Uh, but you know Digital nomads do report that they have higher levels of satisfaction with their work than um, the average office worker, so you never know.
0: Okay. All right. So you're, you're sort of punting on that one a little bit, but I but I get, I get where you're at. I get where you're at. Laura, thank you for this. Uh, hopefully, uh, your voice uh, does you a few more favors here with some tea and some water off the air. Have a great day.
6: Thanks, Dave. Have a good one.
0: <laughs> That's Laura Bain coming up after the break. Surge pricing is becoming more common. And a burger chain thinks, hey, if it's busy in the store, can I charge you more? This will be explored in a roundtable conversation with Rumia and Elizabeth. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. A fast food chain is considering whether or not to bring in surge pricing on food items. Elizabeth Moeller, the story caught your eye. This story caught your eye.
1: It did. I guess you could say it uh, whetted my appetite. <laughs> so Wendy's, the uh, the fast food chain, Wendy's, is considering bringing in surge pricing starting in two thousand twenty five. And we're used to surge pricing. You know, think Uber, think sporting events. So I wanted to bring this conversation today to the roundtable and ask: Have you gotten comfortable? with surge pricing and remia i'll start with you
0: wait wait can we offer a little point of clarification here the surge pricing is based on how busy the store is at the time yes. of purchase just one yes. an important piece of clarification there yes okay remia,
7: so have
1: you uh, yeah go
7: ahead um my experience with surge is only through share services which is uh uber essentially um and i i find it to be a little bit confusing to follow Uh, i think that there is you know conceptually an understanding of what uh, surge is and even if not conceptually you're just thinking oh it's busy so high demand equals high prices and therefore um you know I'm, i'm i'm part of surge right now or i'm not part of surge right now but when it comes down to the fine details elizabeth i have always just been kind of the I don't get it, but it makes sense. I'll just wait it out. So, waiting it out
0: (laughs) supply and demand
5: (laughs) economics lesson number one.
7: Yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway, waiting it out on Uber is most likely a very different experience than waiting it out to hit Wendy's during surge. (laughs) Right. And I'm thinking this is gonna be more like the um the concept of traffic, uh what do you call it? Rush hour in Toronto, which used to be like give or take an hour, you know, going to work, an hour coming back from work. And between this time and this time, it was pretty easy to follow. Nowadays, rush hour is way beyond that and way more gray. And I'm I think of ride shares this way as well, but I'm not sure what Wendy's is gonna to do to kind of let people know this is surge. Which feels like the opposite of happy hour, which means, you know, you should tell us like between this time and this time or how are they going to measure that?
0: Yeah, so that's where I'm at too, Ramya, because clearly this idea is based analytically or algorithmically that Mm. says, oh, we have X number of people in the store, so what's going to happen? You're going to display on the price board, ding, 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 we're hitting a surge, so walk out of here if you don't want to buy your burger, or lucky you if you got your Dave's double, I I do think there would need to be some level of transparency here, almost like you said, an opposite happy hour that says, hey, between 5 and 7 or between 11 30 and 1 30, our prices are going to go up if you want to eat at another time then come at that time of course then you know what's going to happen it's going to get more busy at two o'clock rather, rather than noon so it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a dog chasing its tail a little bit elizabeth i've gotten used to it but i haven't not necessarily gotten comfortable with it uh not that i would ever be out at one thirty in the morning on a saturday never night did. that never, never happens i would <laughs> never do that but i've noticed a trend when you call a rideshare sir Service, and the price mm-hmm. pops up at, say 21 bucks or 22 bucks and you hit, and you think to yourself oh that's great that's a great deal let's let's lock that in and you request the ride and you get rejected by a driver and then you get rejected by another driver and then you get rejected by another driver who are all on the map they're all logged in and then what happens after your third rejection you bounce back to the main app Oh, surge pricing is on. It's now going to be $40. So I would be very concerned about a manipulation of the surge pricing. Like, hey, flip those burgers a little slower. Make sure the French fries aren't quite ready as fast because we can create our own artificial surge inside Mm. the Wendy's.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Like if you come into the store and it's not a surge pricing time and you're just about to place that order and then the surge pricing comes up. And I always think like, how much am I, would I be willing to pay? And I think, you know, there's a number of factors Like we talked about the ride share. Like, can I take a cab? How soon do I need to be home? Can I wait a little while? Sometimes I find, and I'm never out either day but 1 30 on a saturday Never. but sometimes it's a matter of like okay 10 minutes later i log back in and it's it's back down to normal but other times it's like i log in i'm like okay like the subway's closing i really need to get home mm. and so i think about that even with food like is there other things around or am i in an area where this is it this is the only thing in this particular location where i'm at to eat and so yeah i'm probably gonna pay more right um you know so that those are the kind of things i i think about and i also just i think think about this idea too of like, okay, is our customers kind of going to say, you know what, we're not, we're not doing this and we're not coming in. So is this going to backfire? It's certainly something to consider. It's
0: it's going to give uh, someone pause, right? If they know that yep. there's a Wendy's and a Harvey's next to each other, and they know that the burger price at Harvey's is always the same, whereas going to Wendy's is like rolling dice when you get your Dave's yep. double, you. Like I can see how that would change my <laughs> consumer behavior
7: exactly and I was going to say based on these comments that you guys are making you know the thing that pops up for me is that all, not all Wendy's are made the same right depending nope. on if you're at a mall or if you're at a very quiet neighborhood I don't know any Wendy's at quiet neighborhoods but just saying like there are <laughs> if, you, if you look at a place like Toronto there are many Wendy's and you can't compare the, um, the circumstances or environments all the time to say yeah you know Wendy's across the board would be surging right now and I think that that's a big deal to think about um and then you know fast food in general i think does have the capacity to pull off surge uh surge pricing and this kind of supply and demand and that means your burger is going to get more expensive um i agree with you elizabeth how much more am i going to pay and am i going to do the thing where i'm flipping back between uber and lyft to be like "Eh, okay i'll just wait it out uh, or am i going to pay that extra you know 60 cents for wendy's i don't know but mm. a part of that decision making mm-hmm. is going to be what else is around number one and yeah is it even worth it to go to a wendy's during
0: surgery oh i mean a baconator sometimes always worth it i, I, know, there, I know that's <laughs> kind of an oxymoron or a contradiction there's sometimes always worth it but i'm for the chili oh <laughs> yeah dumping chili all over the fries oh mm. yeah ah, ah! Now that okay. I might be tempted to pay a little surge pricing I, for. <laughs> I literally just drooled all over my goatee. Um okay. Oh dear so, <laughs> so you know what you know what really grinds my gears? You know what really annoys me guys? Ramya, I'm gonna go back to this thing you mentioned about happy hour. Happy hour traditionally was held between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. When people would get off work and go to a bar or a restaurant to blow off some steam for the day. You know what I've noticed since I moved to this gosh forsaken city? Happy hours go from 2 to 4 and 9 to 11. Ramya, what world do we live in that happy hours should be from 2 to 4 or 9 to 11 p.m.?
7: It is so confusing, Dave, and that's what I'm saying. The concept exists; like everybody knows what happy hour is supposed to be. But I'm like, this is not happy hour, and and sometimes it's not even two hour timeframes. It's a one hour time frame that you've just missed because you walked in and then you spent forty five minutes looking at the menu. So I'm thinking, like, happy hour. I don't know. Like, should we be? Making it a, a, a an all over the map, it's the same thing.
0: <laughs> mandatory happy hour. Mandatory this is now mandatory happy time. <laughs> I don't know
7: what you're supposed to peg that on. Like, oh, happy hours changed because what? People are working from home? I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> no, you, know, you know you know, what it is, Ramya? It's the opposite of the surge. These places know they're going to be less busy between 2 and 4 and 9 and 11. So that's yeah. why they're lowering the prices to try to get you in during those hours. But e- even when I used to hang out at this really dicey bar in Montreal, they did start their happy hour at 2, but they still ran it till 7. By the way, $5 mm. pitchers of Molson Dry. What a time to be alive <laughs> Elizabeth what happens to happy hour
1: what happened to happy hour yeah it's a it's a good question and you know I think to, I'm finding now with happier, there's like a lot of, you can only get this on this day and you have to get this particular thing. So it, it used to, mm. I remember it used to be very flexible, right? Like when I was an undergrad, it was like, you could order any appetizer and it was half price. You could order any draft beer and it's half price, but now it's very restrictive. Like we have a signature cocktail of the day that you can get, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I'm not a cocktail girl. I'm a wine girl. I, I, I want, you know, or, you know, we, you can order the, you know, these three options, but I I'm finding there's a lot more restrictions. And just, you know, as somebody that um, thinks about sort of dietary needs of people, I, I'm, I'm not digging that. I'm not digging that. I think there needs to be flexibility in our happiness.
0: Yeah, flexibility in happiness. There you go. That's the <laughs> mantra to end this on. Elizabeth, don't go too far because you're coming back for the I news won't. quiz in the next segment. Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, what's coming up on the show today at 2 p.m. Eastern time?
7: All right, we're talking to vet Danielle Johnkind, and she's giving us um, information about how some scientists have reversed hearing loss in mice oh. with gene therapy. So that's going to be a super interesting conversation. Uh, also, we're reviewing Actress by Anne Karinen and this is a recommendation by Danielle McLaughlin. It's going to be on our book club. Quite a a, a deep and um, reflection-based story, you know, two women who, mother and daughter, who have explored and been exploited in a lot of different ways and their stories kind of colliding and merging together Uh, and then we're talking about using live wood for our woodworking projects
0: live edgewood sorry uh, i was gonna say live wood counts as a tree
7: clearly i know clearly i know so much about this topic um but yeah uh, jeff thompson our woodworker is going to tell us more about it and explain exactly what live edgewood is
0: Ramya, you've been talking to Jeff for years about woodworking. Mm -hmm. Has it convinced you to pick up like a saw or a drill or start messing with some wood?
7: Okay, so I haven't actually like made projects, but I have gotten more confident putting up things. So uh, I've put up my own curtains. Yes, with instructions from and suggestions from Jeff. I've put up uh, like other kind of cool aesthetic things, you know, like floating shelves and such, which I would have never before talking to Jeff. So,
0: yeah. I, I've told you before that I was in a woodworking class in elementary school. I mean, that, that tells you something about the era that I went to elementary school, that they still had woodshop classes for kids right. in grade four. I don't oh. know who thought it was a great idea to put an 11 year old who was legally blind in charge of a power saw on Sander. But some of the happiest moments of my life.
7: I am uh, terrified, but yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, woodworking started for us in high school. I'm thinking grade four.
0: Th- what would I, have I even done? Frankly, Ramya, I should have been terrified too. I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. Why am I being allowed to use a power sander? Uh, Ramya, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. You do. That's Ramya Amuthan. You can find Kelly and Rumya 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Coming up after the break, it's a chance to put your knowledge to the test as part of the weekly news quiz. You can play along with Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Elizabeth Moeller as they battle it out. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown and the Weekly News Quiz on a Tuesday edition of the show. Get your competitive juices flowing alongside Elizabeth Moeller, Alicia Yardley, and Karen McGee. Alicia, hello. Good morning. Hello. And Karen McGee, hello and good morning to you.
9: Good morning everybody
0: elizabeth i've already said hello to you too many times today so we'll uh leave it with rudeness today all (laughs) right let's uh, jump into the rules of the game there are three rounds of questions with three questions per round each question comes with three multiple choice options if you answer the question without the options you get two points if you need the options and get it right you get one if you get it wrong Everyone else gets an opportunity till the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Mary Daniel. That's the wife of producer Paul Daniel. The order will be Elizabeth, Alicia, and Karen. Starting in the world of international news, Elizabeth. Last week, a judge in a Caribbean country indicted 51 people in the 2021 assassination of its president. What country is it? options please is it barbados jamaica or haiti i'm gonna say a that is incorrect alicia was it jamaica or haiti haiti That is correct, one point for Alicia Yardley. And this gives Alicia an opportunity to pick up a a second point or a third point here for an early commanding lead with question number two. England is experiencing its worst outbreak of a disease in more than a decade, with two-thirds of the cases affecting young children. What's the disease? Oh, this sucks because I do have a lot of British friends and
2: I don't know what it is. Options,
0: please. Is it measles, chickenpox, or polio? I'm going to say the measles. That is correct. One point. Another point for Alicia Yardley, now sitting at two points. Roughly 10% of children under the age of five years old in England have not received a measles, mumps, or rubella. Vaccination. All right, Karen, this becomes a very important question for you uh, as Alicia's no off to this lead. The U.S. vetoed a resolution for a ceasefire in Gaza proposed to the UN Security Council by a North African nation. What nation proposed the ceasefire? I'll take the choices, please. Was it Egypt, Libya, or Algeria? Libya? That is incorrect. Uh, Elizabeth, was it Egypt or Algeria? Egypt. That is incorrect. And a default oh. point heads over to Alicia oh. Yardley was with a commanding lead after round number one, three, zero, and zero. Okay, Se- second round. All the questions will be related to sports. And Alicia gets first crack at this. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, over the weekend... NHL player Adam Ruzica had his contract terminated by his team after a video surfaced of him consuming drugs. What team did Ruzica play for? I'm going to need the options. Was it the Minnesota Wild, the Buffalo Sabres, or the Arizona Coyotes?
2: I am literally taking a shot in the dark, but I'm going to say Arizona.
0: That is correct. And Alicia now has uh, four points going for a sweep here. Holy <laughs> smokes. Yeah, by the way, uh, it, the video that he posted on his own Instagram account showed him uh, consuming a white powder on off of a credit card. So I'll let you draw whatever conclusions you want to from (laughs) that. Uh, Okay, Karen McGee, starting to get down to crunch time really early in this quiz. Last week, the National Lacrosse League announced it would be adding a new team next season. What city is getting the new team? Ottawa. Two points for Karen McGee. The team will be known as the Ottawa Black Bears. You know, I was looking at this this morning as I was editing the quiz and I thought, Is it fair to ask an Ottawa person an Ottawa question? And I decided, you know what?
9: Yes, yes, it is.
0: Too lazy to change this. Okay.
7: (laughs) Yay for Dave's laziness. Yay Yay.
0: for Dave's laziness. Some folks call me Daisy. All right, let's uh, jump (laughs) into question number three of round number two. This one heading over to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Canada's national women's soccer team earned a big win at the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup on Sunday. Who did they defeat? Options. Was it Uruguay, Paraguay, or Costa Rica? I'm gonna say B. Paraguay gets Elizabeth one point. Canada won four nothing and they remain unbeaten in the competition. So it looks like there's a little more of a game here than we thought a few minutes ago going into round number three. Alicia sitting at four. Karen sitting at two. Elizabeth on the board with one. So still anybody's game going into round can number I just say, three. I,
9: can I just say I protest there were no women's curling questions in round two. Sure uh, I studied that, too. <laughs> I, I,
0: can I can I say hold your horses because that might be the tie oh. question?
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Round. Let's get to round number three before we worry about the time breaking question. And Karen, I do want to get your thoughts on the Scotties. So stop getting in the way. All right. <laughs> All these questions are going to be general news stories. And Karen, you get the first one on this one. Russian President Vladimir Putin presented a gift to North Korean leader Kim Jong Un last week. What was it?
9: So many jokes. So little time but i'll take the choices
0: was it a watch a car or a train
9: oh it's gotta be a train he loves trains
0: that is incorrect unfortunately oh, no! uh maybe vlad didn't know that elizabeth was it a watch or a car
1: I'm going to say that it was a
0: car. B. That is correct. One point for Elizabeth, who is now mm-hmm. tied with Karen. So four 2 two. So uh, by the way, it was a limousine, a uh, luxury Russian Aurus limousine. So there you go. So limousines getting getting here. That sounds safe. Here. That sounds super safe. I, I don't know if I would. You know what? I'm not going to say it. Not going to say it. I made too many jokes about Russian building codes and their lack of windows uh, last week. So I'll, I'll just leave it there for now. Uh, OK, so we've got 422 and uh, Elizabeth, the huge opportunity here for you to uh, jump ahead of Karen, maybe even tie Alicia at the top of the board. So the 2024 Presidential Greatness Project Expert Survey polled 154 historians on the subject of of presidential rankings. Donald Trump came in last place. Who came in first? Options, please. Was it Franklin Delano Roosevelt, George Washington, or Abraham Lincoln?
1: I'm gonna say
0: A. Uh, It was not FDR. Alicia, was it Washington or Lincoln?
1: I'm
9: gonna say Lincoln.
0: A good guess, because it's correct.
9: Uh, oh, no. Really?
0: But, yeah. But, well, I think if you're comparing Washington to Lincoln, I think uh, George Washington probably had some behaviors that will knock you <laughs> a little bit further down the list. By the way, Joe Biden came in at 14th. I, I, I think there might be some recency bias there. Okie dokie. So, Alicia sitting at five points. Elizabeth and Karen both sitting at two. And, Alicia, you can basically put this thing away by getting this question right. Which competitor is acquiring Discover Financial Services for $35.3 billion in an all-stock deal? So who is buying Discover Financial Services? Um, I am gonna need the options, please. Was it Capital One, Bank of America, or Visa?
2: Uh, this is literally a guess i'm going to say capital
0: 1 that is another uh, good guess from alicia <laughs> who is making a good habit of these things capital 1 is the nation's fourth largest credit card issuer discover was the sixth okay before we do the ti- <laughs> before we do the tie breaking question for fun let's uh, declare our winner which is Alicia Yardley, congratulations.
2: Thank you very much. Literally all of those were guesses, so I don't know what that says about me.
0: Mm, It means that you're having a lucky day and maybe it's time to go buy a lottery ticket. That might be be the play here. That might be the play. Okay, tie-breaking question. As you may recall, the rules have been changed a little bit on this. We do closest to the pin. I asked the question, and then y'all get an opportunity to take a guess at the answer. Whoever's closest wins. Not Price is Right rules. Whoever's closest wins. And Karen, this is for you. Ottawa's Rachel Homan reclaimed the Canadian Women's Curling Championships 5-4 on Sunday with a win over Manitoba's Jennifer Jones. It was not her first win, including this victory how many Scotties tournaments of hearts has Homan won in her career? Karen, you don't get to go first because I'm almost positive you know the answer. Elizabeth, how many times has Holman won the Scotties? I'm
1: going to take a guess. I'm going to say six.
0: Alicia, how many times has Rachel Homan won the Scotties?
6: Uh, nine.
0: Karen McGee, how many times has Rachel Homan won the Scotties?
9: I'm gonna say four, but I was really pulling for Jennifer Jones just because it was her last. I not
0: so, right. I know. So, okay, so four is correct, so number one. Well done by that, Karen. Number two, start with Jennifer Jones, and then I'm gonna ask you about Rachel Homan, cause, cause you know, she's an Ottawa gala just like you.
9: Start with Jennifer Jones? Yeah. It, it, a phenom one of the probably the best female curlers we've ever had she's retiring from the four person not the two person so she'll still be doing the two person with her husband Brent Lang who's also a well-known curler but that woman the way she was coaching the younger players on our team and working with them I, I just I love her so much and I'm so sad like at the end when she was holding her daughters I was sobbing like a baby so like yeah I got a little emotional Rachel Holman, powerhouse. Uh, She is going to go far. She'll probably become the best female curler in Canada. She doesn't stop. She's very focused. Um, Her team's been with her forever. Uh, You can't say enough good things. She'll do really well at the Worlds, I hope. She's sort of coming in really strong. She didn't lose a game this past week. And usually, I like—I always say, like—I like them to lose one game when they're going at least one game before they go in the finals because it kind of, you know, gives them that little extra edge to do better. She, she cleaned, she swept the, she swept the whole thing. Yeah, that
0: pun. good pun. But, good pun. I like that one. Thank you. That yeah, as well. That was, that was, that was good. was
9: fantastic. I had a great week. It was one of my favorite weeks.
0: (laughs) Uh, You and I hung out a little bit last Wednesday. You deliberately asked for people to put on the curling (laughs) while you and I were hanging out because my company. In a bar. Because, well, no, then they were happy to do it, weren't they? They were very happy to do it. They were super content. Karen, the thing about Rachel Homan that really matters here is it looked like she shot up to the top of Canadian curling early in her career. She had so much success early in her career, a phenomenon. And then she really stumbled in the twenty eighteen Olympics, and it looked like the whole thing got derailed. Changing coaches, changing sports psychology coaches, really going out in the wilderness. It's so impressive that she managed to work her way back to this to this level.
9: And, and she was never bad. I mean, she would win the. Um, they have a, a money a money series that they do. Um, uh, i can't remember what it's called it's not awful um I
0: it's like the, it's the like time. the it's like the pinties curling cup or something yeah, like pinties, this yeah
9: and and they just go through and they went she does really well at those she did really well she just seemed to not i don't want to say crack under the pressure but the timing wasn't great and curling really is a game of literal inches they were oh. some shots dave where they were putting stones like they were like like two centimeters between where they could hit them. It was amazing. I was at the edge of my seat, may have been yelling at my TV a little bit. I'm getting (laughs) way too excited about curling. I can see it. Like I can hear it in my voice and see it in my face. Sports fans
0: fans like to yell at their TV. It does happen. Karen.
9: So much yelling.
0: Thank you for throwing a couple stones out there in Curling Talk. I appreciate it. Alicia, congratulations on your win.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And Elizabeth Moeller, you and I are talking again tomorrow morning. You're stopping by to do a conversation about education and some uh, trends, some, some trends that what's old is new again in the world of education. So looking forward to our conversation tomorrow morning. Me
1: as well, Dave.
0: Yeah, standardized tests, uh, making a comeback, and in some cases, never having gone away, or in some places like Canada, never actually existing. So getting into the education beat with Elizabeth Moeller tomorrow morning. The show kicks off at 9 a.m. Eastern time on the mighty airwaves of AMI-TV and the digital airwaves of amiplus.ca until then i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun